Welcome back to another episode of Talk and Shop. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and today I'm joined by V89's Tucker Pierce and the FSU's Alex Crutchick. In today's show, we discuss FSU football's win over NC State last weekend and what went right for the Knowles. We also get into some FSU soccer and their upcoming match against Pitt this weekend. Let's jump right into it. All right, let's jump into this right now. I'm joined by Alex Crutchick of the FS View and Tucker Pierce of V89. Tucker, tell us a little bit about yourself because this is your first time on Talking Chop. Well, I just want to start out by saying I'm happy to be on Talking Chop. It's an honor, guys. Thanks for letting me come in here and join you guys tonight. Um, I, I'm a local here from Tallahassee. I grew up a Noel fan, so it's uh, very fitting for me to be a senior finally at this university that I so high, I hold up to high expectations. And um, I bleed garnet and gold. I, I, I'm trying to be a sports broadcaster, so I'm in the digital media production major program, and uh, I'm working with SimPro over in the Dope Campbell Stadium. So it's it's been a great time here at Florida State, and I'm really excited to be uh, starting my gig with the 89, and I'm really excited for my first podcast. Yeah, we're happy to have you here, Alex. How are you doing? I know this is your was this your third time on the show. I know you were third on third time. Yeah, yeah, you were on for the, our LSU preview when you guys were. Having fun in Baton Rouge, and now, and then you were on earlier this year to talk a little bit of soccer and volleyball. But now you're back. FSU has turned the corner, so to say. I don't know if that. I don't know if you feel the same way. No, I mean now I get to talk. Um, the Tuesday after a win, it feels good. Yeah. I was um at the game actually my first game covering FSU for the FS View. I had a great time. It was great to be in that celebration with the with all the guys down there. Great to talk to coach after a win. He's he's a completely different person after a win. He was. He was so happy to see all of us. He, so he didn't look like he was about to cry because there was a few times I remember from the Boise game, first game of the year, Luke and I, Luke Fay and I looked at each other and we we're like, he might, he may have either just cried or he's about to cry because it did not look good. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I definitely know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen pictures and all that, but he's, he sounded so confident. The first thing that came out of his mouth was, "Wow, what a game!" He was, he just couldn't wait to get to the press conference because he knows how the media paints him, whether it's local news or national news. He knows that a lot of people don't like what he's done so far, so he was very happy to get in front of the cameras and say, wow, what a game that was. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't know, if you are lived, if you have lived under a rock for the past four or five days, Florida State beat the NC State Wolfpack 31-13 in Dope Campbell Stadium and improved to 3-2 on the year. Alex Hornibrook was the starting quarterback this game. They, Coach Willie Taggart and the boys tried to keep everyone in the dark on who was going to be the starter. It was actually, wasn't it on the Jumbotron that James Blackman was the starter in the, in the announcements? He also, Blackman also came out with the captains for the coin toss. And I was watching from the stands that game. Once I saw Blackman coming out for the coin toss, I was like, wait a minute, is he starting for like, for real? Like I didn't, I did not think Hornibrook was going to be starting at that point. No, yeah, he was, uh, he was going through the drills too and everything. And um, there was even one point where, and this was when I realized that it may not be Hornybrook starting, was Hornybrook then is in line behind Blackman and starts to go under center to start the drills. And one of the coaches pulled him back and said, no, no, almost to say, like, no, no, let James go first. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he kind of shooed him off and let James take a couple more reps. And then about five minutes later, they announced James Blackman on the Jumbotron. Uh, I, 
One of my friends made a joke, uh, you know, what are the odds that they just messed up on the Jumbotron, but it kind of sounds like it was all calculated by Coach. Yeah. Can you tell us from the SemPro perspective? Uh, yeah. <laughs> As a SemPro perspective, we always set up everything the best we can before before we mm-hmm. do a board show, and that's what we're doing on Saturdays is we are doing board shows for Florida State. So the real big deal for that is that we were already set, ready to go on the right lineup that we were given. Mm-hmm. And I'm beyond positive that earlier in that day, that's what the depth chart was set, like, was, was set at, so that's what we went with. And um, I was just as surprised as you guys where I had just finished. I kind of just gotten out of my, uh, my thing there at Florida State and, and before the game. So I was coming down from that, and that was one of the biggest surprises to me when I saw Hornybrook hit the field because, like we said, it was set on the Jumbotron. When the Jumbotron says it, you're supposed to go with it, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it, was, it was shocking, none to say the least. But, hey, I just want to throw this out there, uh, ACC quarterback player of the week. Mm, ACC quarterback of the week. And was it Cyrus Fagan, defensive back of the week, and Amari Gaynor, Rookie defensive rookie of the week or freshman? Sorry, he was freshman. literally rookie of the week. That's mm-hmm. and if you don't know about Amari Gainer, you need to know about him now. He's mm-hmm. stepping in for Jaden Woodby, and he's a local from Tallahassee. He's a local boy. He's a sophomore um, from Childs, and he really came up big. We all saw what he did late in the game. Going, that's a, that's a play that coach. I think they really capitalized on the press conference. You were there. That was the play that they said that's where that's where we want our players to be at. Right. Yeah, the whole the whole defensive group looked like they knew exactly what they were doing, except for, of course, the defensive backs didn't know what they were doing with their hands. But other than that, the defense looked great all game. The offense was what kind of wasn't clicking in the first quarter, but the entire game, what was it, like 6-3 after the first quarter? It was the best defensive performance across mm-hmm. the board for FSU the entire season. Yeah, it was, or it was actually 3 nothing after the first quarter. FSU didn't give up a single point in that first quarter. And they only gave up 10 more points after that. Or not even 10 more points. They only gave up, uh, shoot. We went down 6-3. Yes, Florida yeah, State we went back. down 6-3, and then they came back in an amazing come-from-behind win. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought, I thought more of a more of a not a come-behind. It was more of a handle. We, we put the pressure. Yeah. That's where the tide has changed. I mean, you said it, you asked Alex to start, you know, have we turned that ship? Have we literally turned course, and we, are we headed in the right direction? I think we are with how you can put the pressure on your opponent, especially at home. You put your pressure on the opponent to win the game. You don't have to worry about it in that case. We are coming behind against Boise State, ULM. We always say if they would have went for two on that game, they would have won. But Virginia, even then, the pressure was on us to make a play there. But these last two games have been different, guys. But how much of a factor do you think the level of play that NC State really is putting out there factored in? Because I know NC State probably is one of the weaker opponents Seminoles have faced this year. Granted, I know they did struggle against ULM, but they did show up in the defensive half, and the offense kind of did, just did enough. Not even really did enough. They played their role, and they got the job done. But how much do you think playing a lower-level ACC opponent factored in? Well, you kind of touched on it a little bit. Yes, they NC State isn't the best team, but also neither is ULM. And kind of what Tucker said before, they were just a missed field goal away from tying that game or a two-point conversion away from winning it right then and there. And so NC State may not be good, but they're better than ULM. Mm-hmm. And FSU went in and handled them. Uh, seven points in the second half for NC State. Uh, Florida State also scored their first third-quarter touchdown of the season. Uh, it was for the first time all year against any opponent, they looked great in the second half. Mm-hmm. I personally will say that I think the reason our defense came out as motivated as it is in the second half is that Bailey Hawkman was literally like a chicken in that backfield that these boys wanted to cut the head off of. Because he was somebody who obviously left this program. If you were living under a rock, you would have known that Bailey Hawkman, 
Uh, he, he left last year when Willie Taggart came in. He felt he didn't have the ability to win the starting job over Blackman or Francois. So with that being said, Mr. Mann transfers to a junior college and goes to NC State. And they decided to put him in right after. Uh, I, I don't know who the starter was, but he mm. just. Matt I mean, McKay was the starter for NC State, and he went three for seven with 20 yards. Only I, I think he only got one first down in his first two drives. So, mm. I mean, they really didn't give McKay a shot, no. I felt like. they that show, And for a guy that we talked to some of the people from NC State uh, last week, and they were saying McKay was Dorian's guy. And if he's your guy you should trust him for more than two drives. That felt very... Shocking. Yeah, shocking to say the least. And Hawkman came in, and also, they also did play their backup, or the third string at quarterback I Leary. Think, I, I don't know if Hawkman got hurt or what. Maybe he got a little scared. I, he had gotten hit a few hard times out mm-hmm. there, man. I would have been. It would have been hard to get back up after Denarius Robinson did what he did. You know? That is true. <laughs> but, yeah, so Hawkman came in, went 21 for 40, 208 yards, one touchdown, total QBR of 37.4. So he really, he just didn't feel he just didn't feel comfortable a lot of the time that because Grant FSU was putting a decent amount of pressure on him, but he just couldn't get passes in when he needed to. Like there was only one time where I saw a pass and be like, that was a really good ball there. Like that was something that that was a play he had to make. He just was making just doing enough to kind of like hang around every now and then, not doing enough to win the game. No, that's exactly what you guys said. And not only that, he. he never really got the chance to throw the ball. I mean, that was one of the best pressures that the defensive line has had all year. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe this is just speculation, but there was a couple times where our where Bailey Hawkins was getting up and our defensive linemen were looking back at him saying something to him. And um, It was personal. Yeah, uh, yeah I think it, they it was, had some choice words. <laughs> yes, there was definitely some choice words, a, a few hard hits. And, um, yeah, they just never really gave him a chance to get the ball off. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the defense on the run game, or for the run for the run defense was phenomenal as well. They only gave up 88 yards. The longest run of the night was, I believe, 19 yards. And that was on 28 carries for the Wolfpack. So they really did a good job of stuffing them. And their lo- the most carries was from Houston, their running back number six. Or, uh, Jordan Houston got 61 yards on nine carries. So there was really no... Like, no pressure, really, from the Wolfpack in terms of the run game. No, I, and, and that's something that we struggle with obviously to start the season we Mm -hmm. got our butts handed to us by boise state's running game and then they came back with i'm gonna go ahead and tell you ulm's got a good back there in the in the backfield i can't remember his name but he came he was a guy josh johnson josh johnson he was committed to old miss and he decommitted and went to ulm and he's a pretty good running back but they really used him they gave the Mm -hmm. ball to him they fed him and he really did what he could against florida state so to see where we're at right now stopping nc state obviously a much like you had said earlier alex a much better opponent than ulm I feel like that's very positive going forward because the last two weeks, our rushing defense has been there. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Florida State on their rushing offense, it was kind of iffy for a lot of it. I know you could say, if you look at just the numbers, FSU had 53 yards on 32 carries, but that really doesn't tell the whole story because Hornybrook did get sacked a fair amount of the time, and he did, so technically he has negative 40 rushing yards. So that really staggers that those stats, but really Akers had 83 yards and then Laburn had 12. So they did do okay, but for that first half, NC State really locked it down. And that was the game plan really for the Wolfpack, is stack the box and limit Cam Akers' ability to do what he does. So I don't know what you guys saw of that, or if you saw anything interesting from there. 
I personally will sit here and say this. This is me sitting on the sideline. I was there, and I really kept an eye on this guy all night because he's someone who stepped in for someone who was injured on our offensive line, our left tackle, Juan Williams. He's out right now. Abdul Bello, really highly touted guy coming in for Florida State. If you didn't know when he was coming in, I think 2016 or 2017, uh, he was a top 100 player in the country. And he has not, in my opinion, I hate to say it, but he has not lived up to the expectations I thought a six foot six tackle would. And he was someone who, believe it or not, I mean, you think that's not even Hornybrook's blind side, but he was getting lit up all night specifically from that left side. Mm-hmm. And I think we're really strong, not as strong but as, as you want to be, but we're stronger on the right side with Ryan Roberts and Dante Lucas. But that left side with Abdul Bello, it's scary. And I think that's really where the problem started in the first half. Our offensive line did not allow Hornybrook to get any time. Mm-hmm. And you can go back and look at what guys have written in the papers. You know, they've, they've done their evaluation on Hornybrook. They said he held it on too long, and he, he'll say it himself if you watch the press conference he said that. But I really do believe the offensive line needs to step up next week. And Clements did the best job he could going forward uh, adjusting. I think he did a really good job going in the second half. And that was the worst game we've seen out of the old line. And that's, that's something to be said there, that – it took them five games to play their worst game. So, I mean, yeah. like, we're after game one against Virginia Tech, everyone was saying, oh, my Lord, this O-line is the worst one in the country. Like, we've never seen anything as bad as this. There can't be anyone else in the nation who has a worse O-line than Florida State. But they they seemed to calm down. They had their moments of kind of just lack, like, just lackadaisicalness. Yeah, going through the motions. And, but Hornibrook was able to make some good passes. There was that the beautiful touchdown between him and Ontario, just perfect over the shoulder right out in front of him. In stride. In stride. Yeah, perfectly in stride. And Hornibrook, he made his passes. He did what he needed to do, and that's what was really impressive out of him. He went 29 for 40, 316 yards, and three touchdowns on the night with two touchdowns over 40 yards. I know the Tamari and Terry slant route, was uh, like a 15-yard pass or so that ended up turning into a 40-some-yard odd touchdown. But he but hit him in stride. He yes. hit him in stride. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. When you give your, your receiver the ability to go in stride and catch the ball instead of having to go back on his left shoulder or catch low or go high, when you hit him right there in the numbers, it allows him not to worry too much about where that ball's going mm-hmm. and more about what he has in front of him. And I think that's really a key. If you go back on Horny Book's passes, you look at him, he does a really good job of leading, leading his receivers. I think he goes over that a lot in practice. He knows he can't offer what Blackman offers mm-hmm. deep. So why not see if he can get the ball to playmakers the best he can and see what they can do with it. Exactly. Exactly. And just going back to the offensive line, the one criticism that I had of Hornybrook was, you know, some people were saying that he held on to the ball for too long. I'd say there were certain times where he should have held on to the ball when he really didn't. There was a couple times where um, he got lucky one of the times, mm-hmm. and his receiver immediately got uh, lit up. The second time, I'm pretty sure the NC State defender dropped the interception. Where Hornybrook is going down, he's already been hit. He's on his way down, and he just blindly, I don't even think he saw downfield, just blindly throws the ball. And that was shocking considering that Hornybrook's a senior. It's not even like he's a true freshman panicking out there. He's played in big games, and here he is just throwing it randomly. Yeah, it's weird to see him kind of do that, but also I feel like that's just like he has that kind of sense of urgency where he doesn't want to take sacks, and he doesn't want to hurt his team that way. So he'd rather throw the ball out, hope it just gets incomplete and gets out of bounds maybe. But that obviously can come back to bite you in the button, especially with, with FSU as in the coming weeks. I don't know if he, we don't know if he's going to be starting though. It's going to be all up in the air. That's a really big deal there. I mm-hmm. mean, I think, y'all, I'm just going to say this now. Going forward, that's a coaching decision that really shows you what your coach, is, his mindset is at at this mm-hmm. point in time. Do you want to win? Do you want to give the ball back to a guy who we don't know if he's healthy in Blackman, but he's a he's a great passer, y'all. I just 
me personally, I just see Hornibrook really managing the game well right now, and you, I just don't know if you want to take the, hand, the ball out of his hands right now. Yeah, I think well, at the worst MCL sprains, I believe, have a recovery time about four weeks. Was it. in Black? Was Blackman's grade one or what was his grade? Because I know I, his grade I'll one, have to look two. it up. I'm pretty sure it was grade one. I'll look okay. it up. Because I believe grade one's about two weeks, two maybe three at the most, and then also bone bruise. And we've heard Luke Fay's whole take on bone bruise as a bone <laughs> bruise survivor himself. He says it takes you a while to get some of that mobility back, but granted, he's not getting the same kind of training that James Blackman does from the people in sports medicine here at Florida State. But if let's say let's say James Blackman is healthy for coming in two weeks when we get to Clemson, is who you give him the starting job to? I think that it would go a long way in telling your team what you think. Kind of what Tug was saying before, what you think about your team and what you believe in about your team. If you make James Blackman go out there. If he's at least ninety percent, if he's at least eighty percent, it tells you that hey, I want to win. I'm not here to rest people just because oh we're we're probably not going to win this game anyway. So James, just get healthy. I want to win right now, so I'm going to make my best quarterback go out there right now. So you're saying James Blackman is the best quarterback Florida State has? I think so. Okay, and what do you got? Um, I I I think Blackman is a really good quarterback. I think he's a better passer. I think he has two more years to where I I call me crazy. This guy could be a pro pro quarterback. I mean, look at the league right now. It's mm-hmm. really quarterbacks are up in the air right now. You can go in there and make some money being a backup. But Hornibrook, to me, is the more experienced guy. He's more calm. He he's not. I, I when Blackman's in there, I just feel a little sporadic, and he's more calm. And I just believe that going forward, Hornibrook is your best chance going into Clemson. I think he can handle the pressure of that game. I think he's been in those games before at Wisconsin. He's a proven guy. So, I mean, as much as Blackman is our guy, he is Florida State. He's been here since the beginning. Hornibrook's a four-year starter. He just set his career high in passing yards. Believe that? That's yeah, four years. It takes you to go to a different team, and you set, you set your career high in passing yards. I mean, it's just if that doesn't show you a little, like, just monumental progress going forward, I just I don't know. I mean, is Hornibrook the one leading us to thirty-one to thirteen victories, or is Blackman? I don't. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, you want I want to give if I'm the coach, I want to give James Blackman the ball because he is the heartbeat of this team. He is the captain. Yes, that is. And no doubt. if you say with your captain healthy, you say I'm not going to start you, man. I'm going to give the ball to the other guy. Like he's played well for two games. I'm going to give him the ball. Not even two games. One and a half games, really. And that kind of sends a message to the rest of your team, and the team's like, what the heck is this? Like, what the heck, dude? Like, are you really going to give him the ball, the guy who just came here from Wisconsin, over our guy, our captain? So, like, there's one bit of me that says, like, Hornibrook, he seems to fit this system well, and he understands it, and he is more... And Hornibrook is kind of a quintessential college quarterback, whereas Blackman, like you said, is a pro, more of a pro-style guy, and I like that, and I like that he can throw the ball deep, but... I like that Hornibrook can get the ball out quick. He can get those short little yards because you don't need to try and do too much with Kendall Brown's system. Kendall Brown's system is like 10-yard pickups, keep it moving, makers. keep it moving, get keep it moving. Makers. Yeah, get them in space and let them do what they can because Florida State does have playmakers in Acres, Laburn, Ontario, They're Terry. Everywhere. They're don't everywhere. even get exactly. me started on Laburn. I think Laburn should be straight running slot packages, if you ask me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll He's like it. a Peter Warwick. He's so nifty. And Coach Taggart said after the game that you have such a surplus of wide receivers that there's no guy right now that's going to get all the touches. There's a, Ten guys touching exactly. the ball. Yeah, it seems like there's going to be one player stepping up each game, and even then, like, you know, I think um, Ontario Wilson had a great game. Hmm. He didn't have a whole bunch more reception than anyone else did. No. He only he had one less reception, actually, than Tamari Ontario. Yes. So, 
they're really just spreading the ball out, and it kind of feels like almost like the New England Patriots style system where it could be any guy any given weekend. Like your if you're playing, yeah, if you're playing fantasy football, good luck picking a guy to uh, get you some points for this week because exactly. any of those guys can do anything on any given week on any given Saturday. But let's jump back to what you were saying about labor and playing in the slot. Let's see. I know you're t- you you gave me a little teaser yesterday when we were talking about this, and I told you the whole. I want to hear more about it, though. It's a thought. I, I, I've i never seen someone move so swift. I mean, if you want to talk about East to West, mm-hmm. that's the East to West guy. That's the guy who can make, he is like as nifty as a basketball player doing a crossover like Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. He's as nifty as that. When you can have your whole entire body force someone to go one way and then you can literally control your body enough to go the other way, that's when you have it made. And I think Laybourne does that better than Cam Akers. I think Cam Akers is a straight dog of a running back. I think that guy's going to play in the NFL for a long time. But Laybourne is sitting there behind him. He's like, Coach, I need this ball. If you can't give it to him in the backfield, if you really want to feed off Cam Akers, and I think you should, you should try to find a way to get this five-star. He was a five-star, top top 30 player in the country. This guy should be out in space. You should utilize him. You should run him off screens. You should run him off slants on the inside. You should go on out routes. Just get Keith Gavin, for instance, in front of that guy, setting up a block. I'm a, I'm afraid that you might have a, a little Peter Warwick number two coming through there. Man. Oh, okay. Peter Pete Warwick up. number two. Pete right. up. I mean, Pete up okay. is Pete up, but I'm just saying, he reminds <laughs> me a lot of Pete up, how he moves around. He's not, he, I mean, Pete up could get that separation speed, but this guy literally has a quickness that nobody else, I don't think, on our team, especially in our receiving core has. All right. Yeah, you heard it here first. Kalen Laburn next Peter Warwick, possibly. Who knows? Question, big question. Mark, a couple questions. Peter marks. Warwick, you are the man. If you ever listen to this, you are the man. But Kalen Laburn has the ability to come in and do the kind of stuff that the last person to probably do that was Peter Warwick. All right. And then let's get into another possible change, or not really change in positions, but change at the position. Ricky Aguayo and Grothus. It's been... It's been interesting situation. We have developments in the situation. I know Ricky Aguayo, he did make all of his kicks on Saturday, all the kicks that counted, all the kicks that counted on Saturday. But Aguayo still got the uh, hook, got pulled, and Grothus got put in for his two extra points. Perfect two for two on those. What do you guys think? Alex, I know you had some thoughts on it and some stats too. Yeah, Ricky Aguayo missed, I believe, his last two field goal attempts. I believe one was a PAT also, or it might have been blocked. He was, was two blocked. for two on extra one points on Saturday, and then one for one on field goals. Okay. But then, the, but the game against uh, was it Louisville? Louisville, it was a struggle. Yeah, it was a struggle for the man. Yeah, like he member. did get pulled um, after his last field goal though, and they had Parker Grothhouse come in and Willie um, to get the last two PATs. Uh, Coach Taggart said after the game that that was scheduled, and they were going to have Grothhouse kick actual field goals, not just PATs, but the field goal opportunity never came up. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. He said they are gonna, still going to use the uh, bye weeks. They have two more weeks until they got to play another game to uh, to evaluate their position. Who know, I, I don't know if they're going to do a two-kicker system again against Clemson to further evaluate it. I'm sure after this bye week you should know who your kicker is. But um, well, Give me the stat. That you, were, you gave me an interesting stat the other day. I, like, I wanted you to tell everyone else about this because it really – Makes you think for a right. minute. So I already told you the stat. Tucker, I haven't told you the stat. I um, So Ricky Aguayo is kicking 91% um, on neutral site games and road games. 91%. I want you to guess what percent he's kicking at home. Okay. <laughs> and he's played. This is his fourth year. He's had four years. Yes. 
And he played for some pretty good offenses. His, that 2016 offense was good. He was a he was a, he was a freshman kicking them. Um, he still missed some that year. I'm going to go ahead and say at home, he probably kicks just below 50%. So it's a little higher than that. It's, it's a, a little bit higher. It's, it's a 58%. 50%. But that's still... Still not good. If, that's still a 30... How do you do that at home? That's what we've been saying. That's what we... Is, is Doak Campbell Stadium a hostile environment for Mr. Ricky Aguayo? Because he, he has to feel some sort of way when he's kicking at Doak. I don't like... The wind never it never seems to get too windy in there. I don't know. I've been no, I've, a, I haven't been to too many games at Doak. You can tell me like it's it, a bowl. exactly yeah, it's a, shouldn't be too windy. It's a bowl. There's no lakes around here. It's just it's know. hot and humid, man. Yeah, yep. right now it's just hot and humid. Dead air. Actually, when you think about it, it's, it's the perfect place if you're a kicker. Yeah, yeah. Just dead air. And so and he what? does it. In, I mean, they say he does it in practice all the time. I mean, do we do we really know how he kicks in practice? It, it just matters on like if you do this so well in practice, why are you getting to a game and having mm-hmm. these kind of especially in front of your home crowd? It does. Just so you know, Bobby Bowden when he had the two wide rights, that's when he figured out I'm not going to let myself go short of a kicker again. He mm-hmm. had Sebastian Janikowski, Graham Gano, Dustin Hopkins, and I'm just going to sit here and tell you. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a Bobby guy, but he set the tone. Bobby set the tone to get Roberto Aguayo. Mm-hmm. We want to have great kickers here, and Ricky was good. He was good coming out of high school. So was Logan Tyler. Yeah. Well, Ricky Aguayo entered Florida State kicking six for six against Ole Miss. He was the ACC Player of the Week. Yeah, I mean, he was phenomenal. And like everyone was like, "Oh my goodness, we got Roberto Aguayo 2.0. <laughs> we got the we got a great I think kicker." He may and be that was comfortable. This may be too comfortable. Yeah. That I mean, I think that's for sure. I think that for sure plays into effect here. Because, I mean, he's getting lackadaisical. He missed three kicks two weeks ago. He didn't miss any this past week. That counted. But maybe gro- having growth this, I'm probably, a growth this or growth house? I know growth, we, I've okay. heard growth house. Okay, I've heard growth this. So I don't know. I'm probably wrong. But having uh, him in really kind of just lights a fire under him. Just say, hey, your job isn't safe. Just because you got that Aguayo Nas name, just because your brother was the best kicker in college football history, doesn't mean you have this job locked up. And that should be everywhere across the board in specific situations, poss- most mainly on the defense right now as well. I think you should be, you should not be comfortable with your position and where you're at on the depth chart because anybody on this team is willing to play hard enough to be there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do your job, next guy gets his chance. Yeah, and that's what seems to be happening here. I mean, the, the kicking competition will continue throughout the bye week and the week leading up to Clemson. So let's look at a little bit of Clemson. We're not going to do a full preview of Clemson because we still have a whole nother week in advance to do that. But let's just talk a little bit about Clemson because they did have a scare this past weekend against UNC at Chapel Hill. I just they, want to sit here and say, did Dave, did Dave Doran, or I don't, not Dave Doran, but uh, whatever the coach, I can't remember his, his name. At UNC? At, not UNC, at dang Jacksonville. Did, did, did the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars draw up that two-point conversion? Oh, right? Doug Marone. Oh, my. <laughs> did Doug Marone drive that up and just send it over like with a pigeon to the, to the to, you know Chapel Hill? Because that was like, what the heck are you running on that play? You would have expected Mac Brown to have a little bit something, something up his sleeve. But to preface it for the people that didn't maybe watch that game, UNC did lose in a narrow, narrow, narrow loss to the number one, the then number one Clemson Tigers, 21 to 20. And so that, it was really a weird game. Trevor Lawrence didn't play his best game. He went 18 for 30, 206 yards and one touchdown. If that's not anyone's best game, I'd like to have, I'd like to have that because that'd be my best game. But it was it just felt kind of weird. Like, it was always one of those games. Like, Clemson's always good for one of these games once a year where it's like they either lose or get really scared by one of these teams. So maybe this was that one game of the year. I don't I don't think they have a second one in them. 
But what did you guys take away from this game? You better hope this was your scare. You mm-hmm. better hope this was your scare because I don't hope I don't even know if they got Pittsburgh on their schedule, but they should always be scared of Pittsburgh from <laughs> three years ago. No, the Clemson Tigers are the best team in the ACC. Everybody knows that they've got great talent. I think they're the only team really in the ACC at this point. <laughs> you want to say that, but you you dang sure want to believe these Knowles have something in them. But it, it's all about their ability to handle the pressure of being that team that's supposed to come back and do it again. Mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be this is better this year, and guess what he is? He's eight. He has eight touchdowns and five interceptions this year, guys. Did y'all believe he was going to have that through? He's five not games? in the same conversation as he's not in the same room as the Heisman conversation. Jalen Hurts right is years above him mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, there's a there's a, a few other players. You, I would say NTN's probably got a better chance at the Heisman than Lawrence at the moment, and NTN's and still crazy. not even having a great year. But NTN, I do. I said this all last year, going into like midway through the year, I was like. NTN's guy. I think he should be it's fantastic. He should be considered like for at least being one of the best running backs in the nation. And he didn't get that recognition, but now he's starting to build that up again. He's now, thankfully, that, he's building up that Heisman campaign. Mm-hmm. If he keeps playing the way he's playing. Exactly. So they did really. I don't know. What did you see, Alex? Game, Alex. I just saw, and it, not just Clemson, but I feel like every national champion contender seems to have this type of game where you either lose a heartbreaker or almost lose a heartbreaker, and that's just what gets you focused on the rest of the year. And it, this is kind of a weird hot take, but I feel like you kind of need a game like this. I feel like as a coach in a weird way, as long as you get the win anyway, you kind of like having one of these games on your resume because that way you can tell your team, hey, look, we're we're vulnerable. We're not just because you're Clemson doesn't mean you're going to walk in anywhere and be able to win. And I don't know if you saw earlier today, Dabo Sweeney literally said the words you just said yourself. It doesn't matter how you get the win as long as you get the W. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, zero. It, it's just like saying it doesn't matter how you get your uh, your degree. It doesn't matter on your GPA average. It doesn't matter on any of that as long as you get the degree. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that Dabo Sweeney's trying to enforce. And I think you're hitting the tone there. You already knew it beforehand. I mean, if they, if it, as long as you get the win, that's all that matters, correct? But you don't want to have games like these come up in a season because one, at one point you might lose it too late. And if you lose it too late, it could hurt you. Right. Now, here's the thing, and here's why I would be terrified if I was FSU. I hear a lot of people around campus saying, oh, well, look at what's just happening at UNC. Why can't we do that? Well, here's why you can't do that. Because Clemson, just like how FSU has a bye week, Clemson also has a bye week. Mm-hmm. So Dabo Swinney is going to take the next two weeks to just hammer his guys about how bad they looked against North Carolina. And they're going to try to beat the crap out of Florida State. I Yeah, I... I agree with that sentiment as well, but I was I'm looking at the numbers right here from the past two years when Clemson had their two losses. So 2017 they lost to Pitt 43-42 at Death Valley, mm-hmm. and then the last year they lost 27-24 to Syracuse in Death or that was in Syracuse. The next week after, so this was after the Pitt loss, they won. They beat Wake Forest 35-13. They didn't have a bye week between that game. Then in 2018, when they lost to Syracuse, they came out and beat Georgia Tech 24 to 10. So they didn't absolutely kill the next team in their path. Uh, so I don't. Maybe they can take it a little bit easier, but it's Florida State. It's a rivalry game. They're not going to want to take it easy on Florida State. I right. think we all agree on that. And I know Florida State doesn't want to take it easy on them. Ooh, this is this is the one. I mean, other than Miami and and, and Florida, that's for recruiting. That's for like I got the state. This is for the ACC Atlantic. If you win mm-hmm. this game, if either one of these guys win this game, whoever wins it, 
is going to have sole custody of the Atlantic Division in that, in, 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 for the most part. Well, Florida State still has would still have one more loss, so technically Clemson would be ahead think of Think about this. Still. If Florida State were to, I know this is imaginable. Don't call me crazy. I, I, I'm just saying, if they were to, <laughs> if they were to win this football game and somehow get all the wins they need in the ACC, maybe lose one to forty. You don't want to lose that one to Florida, but if you lost that one to Florida, you would still have one loss to a Coastal Division rival, mm-hmm. and they would have the loss to you. And that's where you would over overhop them in the Atlantic Division. But, but that's hard. still need that second loss. Where do they get that second loss? Well, no, Florida State doesn't have two losses. They have one loss so far. They lost only to Virginia. No, I'm just saying overall. So they do take into account overall record. That's why if you look at the like the standings right now for the Atlantic, Wake Forest is higher than Florida State, even though Wake Forest, I believe, is only uh, they're they're undefeated. They are they are undefeated. They're five and zero. But I think believe two weeks ago when they didn't have an ACC game, they when they were four and zero, they were still higher than Florida State. I I I'm, I'm, I mean, call me crazy. I'm I'm still pretty sure it's all about you know it's just like in the, in, in in NFL football. It's whoever has that wins over in, in division mm-hmm. division wins mean a lot more than anything. So I believe that I'm just saying if we were to only have one loss, that one would be on the coastal side. If you were to beat Clemson, mm-hmm. they would have that one loss to you. It, yes. It, in the grand scheme of things, it would help a lot to have that one win over Clemson. But I just don't think it's going to happen. It's going to be it's, tough. It's going to be the These <laughs> rivalry games are so weird because I remember two years ago, we went into Clemson, and Black for Black. some reason, yeah, James Blackman two years ago, and yeah. we entered the fourth quarter down 17-7. to And we were kind of driving down the field. It's, I think we were down by 10. It was 17. I'm pretty sure it was 17-14 when he was on that drive and he threw the interception in the red zone. Yeah. So you are 50 yards away from taking the win if your defense can stop. And I remember coming on to um, Tomahawk Talk last year before the Clemson game, and I said, well, look at that game against Clemson in Clemson. So I feel like now that we're playing them in Tallahassee, it should be a close game. And then uh, that one's we in, lost 59 This one's in Clemson this year. Right, right. No, oh, I mean, you're talking about oh, you okay. mean last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah last year I said, oh, well, look what happened in 2017. We played Clemson very close. So now in 2018, it should be a very close game. And then we lost 59-10. to 10. Mm-hmm. So... I really have no idea what's going to happen in two weeks. It, it, it's it's going to be a really great game. It, 3.30, 30 kickoff on ABC. You can't ask for anything more than that, guys. That's the big thing. It's going to be primetime football. We're going to have a great time on that Saturday. It's going to be... It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll dive into a little bit more of the Clemson-Florida State matchup next week, so stay tuned for that one. But let's jump over to a team that has proven themselves over the past two years to be a solid club, and that is the Florida State women's soccer team, the Florida State soccer team, not just the women's soccer team. They are the soccer team at Florida State. They are 9-2 and two right now in the year. They have not lost a game since they came back from that road trip in California, and I know we talked about that on the show a few weeks ago, but they are playing a whole different brand of uh, footy, and they are just killing it right now. They did they did have one slip-up. I grant that one slip-up was BC a few weeks ago. I believe that was on the, was that the? September 19th. Yeah, 19th. It was a weird game. Just a re- I was Thursday watching, night game. It was different. Yeah, Thursday night game, 5-4 to four win over the Eagles. It was back and forth the whole time. I was flipping back and forth from it on between football and that and just checking up on the scores and be like, what the heck, like Florida State's down, now they're up, now they're down, now they're up, and now they got it. So. I can tell you personally from what I was at that game, mm-hmm. I work, like I say, I worked for Simpro, so I was a uh, working timeout coordinator for that one, and um, I can tell you that game was close because um, Florida State allowed those girls to get tight in the box and get second chance points. And you can't let that happen. Your keeper's got to step up. Caroline Jeffers, she's been very solid ever since she came in last year and um, filled in for Brooke Ballinger um, and uh, really took over that role. And she's a senior, and she she holds on to it. 
but she seems to make a few mistakes here and there in the box, mainly on set pieces uh, that it just came back to hurt him in that Boston College game, man. Mm-hmm. It came back to hurt him. I mean, she missed a punch out. I don't know. I mean, those games, you don't want to have them, but those are the games that wake them up, just like you say in football. It's the ones that wake you up. Mm-hmm. And it for sure woke Florida State up because I don't believe they have well, – have they given up uh, – they well, they they've only given up one Clemson. goal. And Clemson yes. was number nine in the country. Mm-hmm. So they've had some solid wins, and they've had some impressive wins. And it's not only been just Jeffers in the back of the net – or not in the back of the net, in okay. front of the net. And, but it's also been Brooke Bollinger. She's had two starts – or three starts since the Florida game where she had to step in after Jeffers got a red card. Which is crazy. For some unsportsmanlike conduct, to say at least, <laughs> against a Florida Gator. But It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, sure. I'm not not saying it's okay. I'm just saying I understand. Yeah, 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 okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, coming from the fans' perspective, (laughs) it might be a bit okay, but it's not okay to take it out. No, physically. So if you're if you're a child playing soccer, specifically a girl, don't go around doing those kind of things. You want to you want to keep it clean. If you're a guy or a girl, don't go around (laughs) don't go around kicking people. How about that? I think we can all agree on that. But they've been playing some really solid uh, soccer recently, and they come into they've been doing well in the ACC uh, part of their schedule, which is always a struggle. And I know they usually I don't know I don't know how would you say this. They usually do play up to their standards when they get around to these games. So they their most recent win was against Syracuse, one nothing on the road on the road at the Big Orange up there in uh, upstate New York. So that was a solid game for the Knowles, and they come into this weekend. They're taking on Pitt at one o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So I just want to get your takes on what we're what we should be expecting going into that game this weekend. I think that um, yeah, like what you said, they've been playing up or down to whoever they're playing since that California road trip that you alluded to in the beginning of this part. They've uh, given up just over one goal per game. I think it's like one point one or one point two, and a big part of that is Heather Payne was actually on international duty uh, during that road trip, and Coach Krikorian said like that was the difference. And you can see, since then, they've given up just over a goal a game. They have three shutouts, and they, just that Boston College game, like what you said, Tucker, that, that was the wake-up game. Other than that one Boston College game, they've given up either zero or one point or goal since then. They gave up two to Colorado. Right. That was, but that was also another ranked matchup. So that tough was, game. Tough it game. It was, and I was expecting that to be a tough game. Some people were like, eh, I don't know if we should really be worried about Colorado. They haven't really played anyone that good, and so I think maybe the team kind of sat back for a second, like, eh, we don't need to worry about Colorado. And maybe Colorado caught them off guard. I don't know. Were you at that one? I was at that okay. game. I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all. Colorado has a stud, number 22. Uh, she's a very big, tall, blonde girl. This girl went crazy on us. Those two goals came from her. And uh, I really do think that was a good one to to, to tune up for the ACC. The ACC is going to be a gauntlet. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough. you got UVA in two games. I mean, if you haven't seen today, UVA men's and women's soccer are number one in the country. If you don't like the ACC, if you want to say the SEC is better, you're crazy. Because in every other sport, we seem to be doing really well. But our uh, we had a tough game against UVA, and I really think that these are those are the games that prepare you for this kind of stuff. Mm. And those two wins you pick up against Clemson on the road, big. And then right after that, against Syracuse on the road, big. You're setting yourself up to have a good mentality going forward in those games. Mm-hmm. And FSU actually only has this season's kind of flown by. It's only there's only seven mm. games left on oh, the schedule. Oh man, it's crazy. Season ends on on Halloween. Ooh. So yeah, going to be a spooky game against Duke. Duke so yeah, eight o'clock, Duke in Tallahassee. So we're, I guess everyone's going to be wearing their costumes to that one, uh, most likely. But yeah, so 
this one against Pitt uh, is going to be a one o'clock game. What do we? How are you guys feeling going into this one for the Seminoles? I think uh, I think Florida State, like I said, two big wins, Clemson, Syracuse. Um, you know, obviously in soccer, you get a one nothing score. You, that might be just one goal, but you you held that team to nothing, mm-hmm. and that's got to make you feel really good as defense. I have a lot of praise from Aaliyah Berkeley on that back line. She is absolutely phenomenal with her footwork and her ability to control the ball and push forward and be even with. Uh, um, uh, I just lost her name on my on my head. I'm moving so fast, y'all. I gotta. Jalen Howe. She mm-hmm. gets up there with Jalen Howe, and they work together. When Malia pushes up from that center defensive mid spot, I believe that's where she usually plays for Coach uh, Kakorian. Jalen Howe and her have a really good job of working together to control that midfield, feed Dana Cassianos, and Yuji's out in front of them, and then pushes the wings on most cases. And I really do think that she does a great job setting the defense up and holding the defense strong. She is that center person, and I, I personally played soccer when I was when I was younger and when I was in high school. And I'll tell you that the center defensive player when you're playing defense is a very big person to have. And you have someone that's the bet your best player, Dava Louise. I mean, some of the best. Best Van Dyke is one of the best mm-hmm. soccer players in the world right now, and um, he's a center defensive back. I mean, you've got to really have a lot of praise for those kind of people when they can step up in those roles and even play midfield. Yeah, exactly. I'm. You obviously know a lot more about soccer. I didn't know that you actually played soccer in high school, so that's a nice little tidbit I, there. I, it's my. It is my sport. Is my go-to. I okay. love football and everything else, but soccer is what I have a mind for. I coached, and I, I just really, I, I, I believe this team. Got a good set defense that really mm-hmm. feeds the front, and when you can feed that front like that, and you can hold them strong and keep a team from scoring, it's tough. It's okay. tough. Yeah. So I, I also wanted. To get, I know we didn't really have a show around mid-season for this team, but I want to get your mid-season report card for the Seminoles here. I don't know. Like, have you? What have you seen? Who? Okay. So let's do mid-season report card. Give me the letter grade, and then who's your, the player that you're most surprised with this year, or who's your MVP for the mid-season? For me, I'd probably give them a B plus, just because. They have so many great games that we're used to from the Seminoles. But then, of course, you do have the California road trip where you lost two in a row. You do have the 3-2 game against Colorado, which that happens sometimes. But the 5-4 Boston College win was just really sloppy. And I think I feel a lot better after a win against Pitt, Virginia Tech. But, yeah, after what I've seen, it's a it's a B plus, which is pretty good. But, you know, you could see better. And I think... My MVP is probably Yuji Zhao. She has, uh, what, what was the number that you gave me before? She has... I believe she has on the year, she has uh, four goals, three assists, 11 total points, and 33 shots, uh, 14 of which were on goal. So she's been playing pretty well this year as yeah. a sophomore, too. Exactly. So not only does she have all the stat, all the uh, the numbers to back it up, but also just when you listen to these broadcasts or if you just follow along on Twitter or if you just watch the game itself... Her name gets called a lot. Even when she's not scoring or making assists, the offense runs through her, among a couple other girls, but uh, it runs through her a lot. You hear her name a lot, which always means that she's doing great. But my MVP and my most surprising player are two different people. Uh, probably uh, Caroline Jeffers. Or, um, Jeffers or Bollinger? Or Bollinger, but, oh, Bollinger. Sorry, okay. it was a skip me real quick. No, you're good. Bollinger <laughs> came in uh, for the UF game, and she was the starter last year. She was. She played about 20 games last year. And just she, like you said, UF game, she came in there dead to the water, not mm-hmm. anything warm. Exactly. Up. I don't it know. It was a midway through second half, too. It big, was big, It was big. late in the well, game. Well, late. Just for context, she came in. Well, actually, I think you already gave it. She uh, came in after the red card and Bollinger got mm-hmm. sent off. Her first shot of the game was penalty a penalty game. shot, and she saved it. It wasn't yeah. even a shank. It, she actually got and a hand on it, and 
got it away and preserved the lead for FSU. And, you know, she's been in against Clemson, Nova, and Sanford as well, and she's done fine. Mm-hmm. You know, she um, she's taken it all very well, and it, usually when you lose your job like that, it's hard to do, but she's been doing just great. Yeah. It's great to have someone like Bollinger behind Jeffers, who Jeffers is a senior and Bollinger is younger than her. It's great to have. It's like having two quarterbacks like we have a Blackman and, and Hornybrook. We feel okay because we have two. <laughs> it, it's really good to have two keepers in soccer, especially someone you can trust right behind. And um, I, I love feeding off Yuji Zhao. Yuji Zhao is someone, if you get the ball to her in the top of the key on their half of the third and you allow her to have just an inch of space, that girl can curve one to the corner just like Dana Castellanos can. Those two girls are, are, are really hard to stop. And when you see defenses really hard to the middle, you'll see Florida State push out to the wide mm-hmm. and then swing it in. And that's where those girls even come up bigger because even though they want to get it to them and to Yuji Zhao and Dana Castellanos at the top of the pick, they literally feed into them and it comes right back out to them and Yuji can curve it in. Me personally, I would give Florida State an A minus. I know that's crazy, but that that was a gauntlet in the start of the season with uh, UCLA and USC. That was back to back game, not back to back games, almost like back to back games in soccer. That's a long sport to play. Um, that was a tough weekend. You got to make that trip over to California. That's never fun, especially with the time difference. Um, they got those two losses, but then they came back and they got a huge win against Florida. And then that Colorado game, this is when it starts. And this is where my most surprising player, and I would say my most outstanding player so far, because I really like to see what she brings when games are tight and it's on the line. Jenna Nineswanger, mm-hmm. number two, came up big, won the game for us pretty much against Colorado with her goal. And then a Vince Boston College, she won the game as well. I think she's been humongous because that's a girl who's stepping up at a young age, and she's getting the job done for a team who's top 10 and is defending national champion. Mm-hmm. I think when you have players like that stepping up and you have girls like Dana Castellanos and uh, Yuji Zhao still doing their thing, sky's the limit for a team like that when you got young players playing for you, you know, and they and they can feed off these girls that are in the top. So I really think for the state going against Pitt, it's going to be tough. And I, w- and I would say that in midseason form, uh, it, 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 it's it's an A-, but this game against Pitt's going to be tough, but we'll see what they're made of. And mm-hmm. That'll be a good – those that Pitt and Virginia Tech game are good tune-ups for Virginia at home. And if you if you were in Tallahassee on October 13th, you better be at the complex to watch Florida State take on Virginia. I, I really think that's going to be a top-five matchup, if y'all think, probably going in if we get two wins here, right? Yeah. Probably I think top-five. Easily, yeah. We're number six right now, but I think we creep into the top-five, and if Virginia holds strong undefeated, they're going to be number one. It's going to be a tough game at 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so let's just jump right in predictions then. So who do you guys got for Pitt versus Florida State? I'm going to have to go with Florida State. I mean, Florida State is, I think, not wells above Pitt. I mean, but they're 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 a top, they're a top 10 team in the country. When you're mm-hmm. a top 10 team in the country, especially when you're beating number 9 Clemson on the road, it's tough for Pitt to come in here and think they can – they can snatch one away. It's, uh, Boston College tried to do it, but you saw what Florida State did. They, they figured out how to put their uh, their foot on their neck and clamp it down and cut it off. And I really think if Florida State can do that against Pitt, they could probably make it look a little bit a little bit more nasty than that, that, that Boston College game was. You got a score? Oh, Batman, Florida State goes into games when they want to score, they're going to have a tight game. So if I was going to sit here and say that Pittsburgh is going to score like three goals, Florida State's going to have to score four or five. But if Florida State comes out and plays a defensive game, it's going to be 2-0. Two, 2-0, two all right. They're going to get that one, and they're going to take another one. All right. There's just no one on pit that, that stands out to me when I was looking them up before the show. It just There's no there's just no one to really watch. They're a pretty solid team, but there's no one that I'm really scared of. And just like what you said, when you're a top-10 team in the nation, 
you're expected to win these games. It would be a huge upset if Pitt actually won this game. I'm going to go 3 nothing. I think it's going to be pretty hard for Pitt to push the ball, especially for a day game. It's still pretty hot out. They're going to have to deal with that brutal, dead air Tallahassee mm-hmm. heat. I think it's going to be pretty hard for them to push anything on offense. All right. I think I'm going to say I'm going to give Florida State – there was it, sorry, Pitt. I'm going to give Pitt zero goals in this match, but I think Florida State only takes one. I think they only give up – they only get one goal. And I think once they get that one goal, they just kind of park the bus and just kind of eat away and chip away at uh, Pitt until they get tired and kind of just give up on the match. And if, if anything, if you watch Florida State soccer, those girls know how to handle the ball. Mm-hmm. Corian loves possession. He loves to take time to set up the right people for the right moments. Exactly. And if, they, like they like you said, like that's how they'll probably end up with that second goal that you're predicting just because they keep setting themselves mm-hmm. up for it. Exactly. But I like the possession that they keep throughout a lot of the game. So... That's why I'm just going to stick with that 1-0 I like that. victory for the I Seminoles. I do like that. That's, that's a, lot of, uh, a lot of in-depth looking at that one. Exactly, yeah, from the in-depth soccer person here <laughs> my, by myself because we all know I am the soccer mind here at the station and at the newspaper. So I think that's all we got for you on the show. Uh, thank you for joining me. Oh, man, fantastic. Uh, this is, I wouldn't want to spend my Tuesday night anywhere else. You know? Oh, yeah, neither would I. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it's always great just talking after an FSU win mm-hmm. for oh, yeah. soccer and football. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talk and Chop. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FSVU Sports. Also, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.